Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I, for you've been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Salah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. That's Psalm 61, which along with Psalm 62 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, November the 2nd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We've got <clears throat> still in the book of Nehemiah. Um, we're skipping forward to the dedication of the wall, which is about six chapters forward from where we were. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verses 1 to 19, and then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. So they're dedicating the wall, which was built in 52 days, and Nehemiah calls all of Jerusalem together, and they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with his cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the Levites were were people who performed the functions of the temple. They were not the priests. They were the the people who performed the the day-to-day kind of functions of the temple and took care of everything there. But they also were the singers and uh, did other kinds of work as well. So they needed them to come to lead the people in worship. And that's exactly what it says, that they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, thanksgiving, with singing. They were the musicians, the singers, everybody who led worship would have been a Levite. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the village of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Amzaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. So they didn't leave when the people had. They stayed in the land and they built villages for themselves around the city of Jerusalem. So they were prepared and they were there. They just had to go be retrieved from those places in order to lead this worship. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So it's all purified in the sense that it's set apart and it's given to God. And so all this stuff is sanctified and purified according to the purity laws from Leviticus. And so they're all set aside. The whole place is intended to be holiness to God, like the uh, headpiece that's on the high priest's uh, head as he goes in for Yom Kippur with the blood of the sacrifice to throw on the Ark of the Covenant in order to seal God's judgments. So the, the judgment is, is not going to happen because he's done this ritual thing. And so that he wears this headpiece that says holiness to the Lord, which is basically to announce, hey, if we've done our best to get this stuff right, we recognize that it's not perfect because we are not perfect, but our intention is expressed in the words that's on this headpiece. So they have purified everything. The people, the walls, the gates, everything, it's set apart for God. It's intended to be his city. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on, 
and the other goes to the north. And so it's like in the days of Moses when he set people on two different mountains to pronounce blessings and curses. That's what's going on here. So you've got these great choirs singing over the top of the people, and in some ways you could see that as sort of like the covering of the Ark of the Covenant because you've got these choirs on both ends and the people in between. And so what you could see is the choirs acting sort of as cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, praying over, singing over the people, and the people joining in in this great choir. <clears throat> and they sang with Jezariah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You can just imagine this throng of people singing and worshiping God together in great joy for the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, had been restored. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. Those are temple functions to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Wow, what a a wonderful thing that idea is, that the people of Jerusalem were rejoicing over the priests and the Levites such that they were bringing all the required sacrifices. Nobody's holding anything back to provide the food for the people who were um, working in the temple. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. David was the one who formed the first worship teams, and Solomon did the same. And so the, the glory is being brought back to Jerusalem. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, Zerubbabel's the governor and Nehemiah is the uh, the leader, they gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites then set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron, the high priest uh, and the priesthood. And so we see the, the joy of the people in having the city of God being restored and the dedicating of that to him, the offering up of worship and the offering up of all that they had and all that they were, that their compliance with the law of God is complete. And in that, they rejoice because they see that we could not have done this without the hand of God being upon us in order that we could complete this thing. So the joy is complete. And you, you can see that in, in the building of new churches and things like that when, when there's great enthusiasm for a new thing and that God's provided all that was necessary for it. In the gospel, Jesus is comparing the kingdom with multiple things in order to say how important the kingdom is and what it should feel like in our lives in the same way it did for these people in Jerusalem in the time of Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And we're called to have that kind of attitude towards the kingdom. And that's what Jesus says. It's that important. It's that wonderful a thing that that you would sell everything you have in order to have that 
and that's in contrast to the rich young ruler who is not willing to give up his kingdom in order to receive the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says you're going to receive the kingdom of heaven. You've got to lay down everything else in your pursuit of everything else in order to pursue the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what we're called to be and how we are called to act. And then he goes on to say, in the kingdom of heaven, it's like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when you first hear that, you think, well, that's fantastic. So it, it, we, we see the nations, for instance. We see everybody coming into the kingdom, not just the Jewish people, but, but everybody coming into the kingdom. Because he says, gathered fish of every kind. And then it was full. Men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So all this fish is not good. And so, again, there's judgment that's to be exercised in this. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them (coughs) into the fiery furnace. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, this started great, right? I mean, it started with these wonderful visions of the kingdom. And then suddenly, again, Jesus brings back judgment, the same kind of judgment we saw in the parable of the weeds, he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to him, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And so he's, he's teaching them that, that there are new teachings that he's bringing to the kingdom, to the kingdom people. And so there's, there's new understandings that will be coming through Jesus it's not that he's saying anything, he's going to say anything or teach anything outside the context of Scripture. He's not going to teach anything that's not in conformity with Scripture, but but he's going to bring new understandings to old things. And so we have to constantly be prepared to, to be given new uh, insight, not new revelation, because revelation is all contained in the Word of God. We might get a new insight. On something, and we might see things in a different way, but that's a measure of the transformation of our lives by the renewing of our minds towards the kingdom and towards interpreting and seeing and hearing things in in His way. Then we begin to see things in a different light, and so that's what Jesus is doing: is is that He is He is teaching things new and old. We understand all these things, but there's some things we don't understand. Is the issue? They understood those parables, but they in the past they've had to ask Him because we don't understand these things, because that seems new to us. In the Revelation uh, passage, we got, then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. That Ezekiel is given a measuring rod in Ezekiel 47 to go and do the same kind of thing. And so, and Zechariah, likewise, is given a measuring rod to go measure the walls of Jerusalem in his day. And so here, the John's told to go and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but don't measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations, and they'll trample the holy city for 42 months. And I'll grant authority to my two witnesses, and they'll prophesy for 1260 days, which is three and a half years, um, clothed in sackcloth. So they're, they're going to be in mourning, but prophesying in that place. But the, the nations are trampling the holy city for 42 months, and we don't know how long that is. We, we, we don't know because of that when this was written, because there was no temple by AD 70. That temple had been overthrown. And so here John's told to go and measure it, but only the interior part of it, not the outer court, because that's where the nations come. 
And then he, as he speaks about these two witnesses, he says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And that's an allusion to both the, the temple itself in the holy place, that there's two lampstands that are there all the time in front of the altar of incense. And so, but it's also a reference to Zechariah 4, where Zechariah sees these two lampstands that are connected to olive trees, thereby ensuring a, a, a steady and constant supply of olive oil to, to, to burn in the lamps. But it's, it's a supply that's, that's provided by the Lord, not the priests who are taking that oil in and out of the holy place in order to refill those lamps. This, this one doesn't require that because it's the supply from the trees that God has provided in that place, and it's the Holy Spirit is the reference that that's making here. But this, this, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes, sort of like what happened right in, on Mount Carmel. With Elijah, and if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, parentheses, like Elijah did. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, parentheses, just like Moses did. So they have the power of the law and the prophets <clears throat> so as often as, to use them as often as they desire to do those things. Those things being stopping the rain and also to do those wonders that included the plagues uh, in Egypt. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. It's an amazing thing. Because now suddenly Jerusalem is transformed into Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So it, the, the city of Jerusalem itself is now under the judgment of God, just as were Sodom in its day and Egypt in its day. Because the beast has come and conquered them and killed them. And for three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because the two prophets who had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth, because their power that they were given over the, the rain and over uh, all other aspects of creation. So, so now they're celebrating that these two have been killed, and they're exchanging presents as they would, um, as though we were celebrating Christmas, because of the destruction of these two people. But <laughs> after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. So they're resurrected from the dead, and then immediately they hear a voice from heaven say, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. It, it's sort of like the, the reverse of Jesus' ascension, right? Because he goes up into the clouds, but it's not his enemies who are watching that happen. It's those who loved him who are watching him go up into the heavens in a cloud in the same way. And remember the ends of Moses and Elijah. Uh, Moses goes up on the mountain, he dies, and God buries him. And nobody saw that or knows where that is. And then Elijah is taken up in the whirlwind. And so these two, 
did, did Moses die? You know, and, and there's, so there's the book called The Assumption of Moses uh, that, that purports to tell the story of what happened to Moses. But <clears throat> they're taken up at that time in the same way that Jesus was taken up. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. Remember when Jesus was crucified in Matthew's Gospel, we're told that there was a great earthquake in the city. And then a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. And then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's the fulfillment of the promise and an answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that your kingdom come. And in this moment, with a tenth of the city fallen, 7,000 people dying, and the rest terrified and giving glory to God, in this city we saw dedicated in Nehemiah, rededicated in Nehemiah, now we've seen these prophesy there, and people hated them for the prophecy because they were telling the truth of God, about the judgment of God and the righteousness of God. And you see that in our day-to-day. If you dare proclaim a truth that's outside the world's truth of the moment, then, then you're just destroyed by the mob. And so here, though, they see this, and they say that, that the kingdom has come, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. doesn't look like it in that instance as the city, the very city of God, collapses. The nations raged, and that's an allusion to Psalm 2, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail, just like there was on the mountain when God gave the commandments that are in that ark. And so now what we're about to see is the final judgment being revealed from heaven in this moment, and that is when God begins to fully reign on the earth, when the enemy is defeated and the destroyers of the earth are brought to heal. But it begins, the final judgment does, with the destruction of God's own city because, once again, they have rejected his word. 